morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio, the podcast where we talk with writers about their lives, their craft, their business, and their latest work. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and our podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks. Bookmarks is a literary nonprofit whose programs include the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas. Come visit Bookmarks at our community gathering space and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. My guest today is debut novelist Amy K. Green, whose murder mystery, The Prized Girl, was just published. Amy, welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to start out by saying that I, I really like, like this book. I, got, I found that it was, it was the kind of page turner where like the farther you get into the book, the faster you feel like you have to turn the pages. It kind of, there was great pacing to it. Um, but you start out by telling us the crime. We, we know what, we know um, that one of the main characters is going to die right on the very first page. Um, why did you decide to start out that way? And how do you think our knowing that affects the way we look at the narrative later on as we're following that character's story? Well, I, I guess I just, you know, they say start with a bang, right? So <laughs> what better bang than uh, killing one of your main characters in the first chapter? Um, but I also just wanted, as you read through Jenny's story, knowing it was going to end in a horrible way, just the reader, every little thing she does, every choice, every character she encounters, I wanted that little thought to be like, oh, is this, is this this person that's going to kill her? Is this a choice she's making that ultimately is going to have, you know, pay the, the big price on, you know, I think it just adds an element. I don't know. That makes it exciting. Every little thing she does, even if it's something boring, you're like, Oh, is this going to get her killed? That's kind of what I was going for. Yeah. I think there's also a certain, uh, I've seen other books that do this where you sort of get the, what's going to happen to whom out of the way at the beginning. And then it becomes, how is this going to happen? And even more importantly, why is this going to happen? Exactly. And I, I just, I was, I didn't want um, to write something and I hope I accomplished this um, where it's kind of like, you just know, okay, one bad thing is going to happen. It's going to be at the end. And now we're, you know, we're just going to wait for that to happen. You know what I mean? I kind of wanted it to be like, all right, the bad thing has already happened and a whole bunch of other bad things are going to happen along the way. It's kind of what I was going for. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have a lot packed into that very first scene, which is uh, the scene where the, the character who's murdered Jenny um, is her funeral um, mm-hmm. and her sister, the other main character in the book. And we'll talk about these two sisters in a minute. Um, she says, this great line that I think there's just so much subtext to this simple little line. She says, St. Bernard's Cathedral was the only church aesthetically pleasing enough for my stepmother, Linda, to hold the funeral in. I wonder if you could talk about how you use details like that to illuminate character. Sure. Um, I just, for Linda specifically, I mean, it's really all about appearance. And I didn't want to say that in some grand obvious way it just seemed like if she's even concerned about you know the days after her only child's death about you know which of the two churches in town to hold the funeral in I felt like I could just use one word and it almost says more about her than than you know 10 pages could say kind of thing which is what I try to do because description is not my 
love <laughs> when it comes to writing. Like I'm more like, I just like the meat of the story. And if I could just say the simplest sentences <laughs> to get the story across, I would, but I know that's not always very interesting to the reader. So if I can find a way to kind of just sum somebody up in one word or two words, I'll always choose that option. Yeah. I mean, I like that because I think you do immediately start to understand that character from that one sentence. Um, and you don't have to tell us what the church looks like. You know, you don't have to go into all these details. Um, but we we immediately kind of don't like her, I think, based on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, or or at least we understand that um the sister who is who is uttering those words or thinking those words um doesn't like her. Um to, so we've been talking about Linda and Jenny and and another sister as yet unnamed. Tell us the basic setup of the novel so that as we're having our discussion our listeners will understand who we're talking about. Right. So it's a dual narrative so it alternates every other chapter between Jenny who is uh, almost 14 and she's the one who's murdered um, in the first chapter and her older half sister Virginia who's 26. So Virginia's storyline starts the day of Jenny's funeral and Jenny's storyline starts, I think it's five weeks before she's murdered. So as these chapters are alternating, Jenny's leading up to her death and Virginia is kind of being thrown into the solving of Jenny's murder and they kind of go back and forth. And I just wanted to do that because I wanted a way where if a character is lying, you know, the next chapter you can find out they're lying. It, it can You can have those quick moments that lets you just pack so much more in, just just in the narrative, you know, way that it's presented. And I, I just, I thought to write it that way up front, and I'm glad I did, and I stuck with it. And it just, I felt like it gave me a lot more flexibility to just show someone's lying, show some, someone, you know, made the wrong choice, and it immediately had a consequence, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I like that alternating narrative. And there's one thing I noticed I, that I was very curious about, and that is that Jenny's scenes, the, the younger sister, the sister who's going to die, whose scenes, as you said, are begin a few weeks before the murder and lead up to the, the time of the murder. Her scenes are written in the third person, and her sister's half-sister, Virginia, her scenes are written in the first person. Why did you choose to make that differentiation? Um. I guess I'd like to say I had some great, profound reason, but honestly, I think it just was easier for me to separate them in my mind. You know, I didn't want to, sometimes, I mean, obviously I'm very different from Virginia, but sometimes when you're writing the first person, you let your own kind of thoughts leak in more on how you would like interpret a situation or react to a situation. And I, I just wanted to make sure, you know, if that, if I let that happen a little bit with Virginia, if that third person for Jenny, I wouldn't have that problem. And I didn't have that problem because she was almost like Virginia was on one shoulder and Jenny was on the other. And just the simple way of doing one first person and one third person just helped me so much keep them separate in my mind. I think to me too, it made me as a reader feel like, yes, there are two main characters in this book, but if I have to say it's one person's story or the other, I'm going to say it's Virginia's story because she's mm-hmm. the one who's speaking directly to me. Um, and I think if they'd both been in the third person, I don't know if I if I would have felt that way or not. I don't know. It's, it's very interesting because, of course, Virginia is the one who we know her story will be allowed to continue on after the end of the novel, and we know Jenny's won't, you know. Right. And if I had to pick, like, to me, 
a lot of Virginia's story is internal. I mean, Jenny obviously is going through some things too, but if I had to pick one of those characters to be having a journey more internally than externally, and for some reason that translate, translated into my brain, you know, to be in Virginia's head versus just a little, you know, outside of Jenny. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I guess it's as a reader, we know that we can, because Virginia goes through some some pretty dark stuff as well, not being murdered, but, you know. Um, right. But as, as readers, we know that we can have hope for her future, whereas we know we can't really, we're not allowed to have hope for Jenny's future. Um, as you said, we know that from the very beginning. So so I've, I felt like it worked well. I thought it was a good choice. Um, the book is set in a small New England town, and you were raised in a small New England town. And I'm curious what appealed to you about that setting as a writer beyond just your familiarity with it what what did you feel made that the right setting for this particular story well I knew that I wanted to have a story almost like there are a lot of dominoes right and I wanted there to be a lot of secrets a lot of people doing some sketchy things you know a lot of things to come out and I thought the best way to get a lot of dominoes to fall over is just to squeeze them into the tightest space possible. Not too tight, because then they won't fall over. I'm getting too far into the metaphor. But <laughs> so I knew for the story I wanted to tell, I, I had to, you know, almost confine it. And they, you know, my experience with a small town helped me, you know, understand the parameters of that. And it, it just seemed like the right place, like the where the world is the people in the, in that town sort of situation. And if you just, you know, start uh, clawing at one of them and a secret comes out, that's just going to have like an enormous ripple effect is what I was going for. Yeah. I thought it's interesting. It, it seems almost counterintuitive, but it, but I, but I think you get it something really truthful that sort of the smaller the community, the more secrets there are. Um, mm-hmm. Or as you say, the more the secrets that exist affect everyone in the community i mean in a in a in a if it were i think if it were set in a big city it, yeah it wouldn't have that same feeling of well if this person's secret gets out it's going to affect her and him and them and all these other people you know exactly because i mean i think about it because i've lived in a city ever since i graduated high school so i definitely have a lot more city experience now and you know you go to the grocery store you go to a coffee shop it, you don't know any of those people most likely around you. You know nothing about them. You don't know if one of them has been married eight times. You don't, you know, but in a small town, you can't go anywhere without running into people you either know well or at least know of, whether that's for good or bad. And it's just, it's a totally different mentality to, you know, go through your day-to-day life. Yeah, I think there's something about uh, about living in a smaller town. I live in I live in a small city, but it's the sort of place where yeah, if I go into a coffee shop, there's a pretty good chance I might see somebody I know. Um, and that's you know, put that in a small town, that's even a, a much more different dynamic of whenever you go outside the house, chances are pretty good somebody you know is going to see you and see what you're doing. And I think mm-hmm. that adds this element of not exactly voyeurism, but just sort of. <laughs> The other people in the town are all sort of keyed into what everybody's doing, you know. Exactly. Um, Jenny, the younger sister, uh, she's 14. She's, in spite of her youth, she seems to me to be more aware of some things. Um, and I'm thinking in particular about the true nature of a character named Benji. Um, 
than some of the adults are. And in fact, often in the narrative, the children seem to possess a wisdom and a knowledge that the adults are, are lacking, um, even though the children have this certain level of naivete. And I wonder if you could talk about how you, how you balance that, the, the wisdom of the child um, and the innocence of the child. Sure. I, I think that, you know, around that age, 12, 13, 14, 15, it's just such an, a nice combination of, you know, like you were saying, the naivete and the innocence of childhood at the same time. I mean, at that age, especially nowadays, I mean, kids know a lot about the world. So you have this combination of all of this exposure, this want to sort of find your place and think that you're ready to be an adult and you're just as smart as, you know, your teachers or your parents. But you also, you don't have that jaded sort of like negative energy that can, whether we like it or not, sort of come to us all, you know, once we are adults. And it just, I think it just puts kids at that age just with a unique perspective that I miss, frankly. (laughs) I would love to, you know, be able to see the world innocently again. But it it allows it. But, you know, it has the flip side because, you know, she gets pulled into situations because of her youth, because of her inexperience, because of the way she trusts and things like that. So it kind of goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about Virginia and Jenny's family and the and the dynamic that is present in their uh, in their family home. Okay, sure. So they're half sisters. They share a dad. Um, and Virginia's mother passed away by suicide when Virginia was a child. And his her father later remarried Linda, who is Jenny's mom. But there was always a sense of this was dad's new family. And there wasn't really, you know, a very welcoming place for Virginia. There wasn't a welcoming place for a teenager that was having difficulty. You know, she was not an easy, I mean, we know as the reader, we'll learn what's going on there. Um, But to her, her dad and her stepmom who have no idea what secrets are going on in teenage Virginia's life, you know, she's not the easiest kid to handle. And she just, there's a new baby and she just kind of gets pushed to the wayside. And this is a teenager who definitely at this point needs parental intervention, somebody, a teacher, somebody to notice something bad is happening and that just never happens. So she's left now being an adult and just feeling like totally detached from her, you know, family unit at this point. Yeah. And it feels like, um, that Virginia, that, that lack of adult guidance when she was an adolescent has in some ways meant she's never really completely gotten out of adolescence. I mean, there's parts, there's things about Virginia that where she's still, has her level of irresponsibility and, and, and things that, you know, normally by 26, you'd kind of be getting over. Uh, and so you can sort of feel the long-term effects of that family dynamic and the family members, uh, in particular, the father have secrets and I'm not going to talk about what those secrets are, but let me just say readers out there, they are not what you think they are. <laughs> There's some really good surprises. <laughs> Um, so given the way that the parents are portrayed in the novel as um, at best apathetic and at worst abusive, I- I'm almost afraid to ask about your own family, but how, how did how did your family dynamic help you create this family, either by 
being quite different or being or taking things that you knew out of, of your own relationships? Definitely quite different. Mom, dad, if you're listening, <laughs> they're good. not based on my real parents at all. Um, I'm an only child and I'm very close to my parents. So um, I just, I wanted Virginia to be so alone for lack of a more eloquent way to say that, you know, and that doesn't mean physically, you know, she's in town, she's around people. She goes to Sunday dinner with her family every week, but she's alone in her head. She's alone. And she's built up all these, um, you know, coping mechanisms and she has rules and things like that because she's smart and she's functioning, but like she is alone and she is struggling. And it just, you know, you have to do something to the parents to have her be, you know, end up the way that I wanted her for the story that I wanted to tell. So not for my parents at all. <laughs> well, I, yeah, it's interesting you talk about her, her being alone. Cause I feel like, I mean, in many ways, Jenny is alone as well and is, and is reaching in different directions to try to find somebody. And I, I also have uh, sometimes have a tendency to create isolated characters and I, and I see them a lot in novels. And I think to me, I think one of the reasons is, you know, we all live in our own heads and for most of us, we're the only person in there, you know? Mm -hmm. um, do, but do you feel like there's a universality, a universality to that kind of isolation that, that appeals to readers that you wanted to sort of play on? I think so. I think like, you know, we all think that, oh my God, I'm in my head so much. Why nobody else can be thinking this much all the time. Like, you know, but that's everybody. Everybody's in their own head and everybody feels alone at times or that, you know, maybe the relationships they have, they shouldn't trust like they do or they in it more than the other person. And, and reading is a, you know, an activity you do quietly by yourself. So just the nature of being, of reading a book you're sitting there alone by yourself in your own head. So I think it just pairs nicely. So we have, we have these two sisters who have certain things in common or half sisters. Um, this, this feeling of isolation, having to deal with this, these um, difficult parents. Um, they're, but they're also very different. Um, what, what specifically did you do to sort of make sure that the reader distinguishes the difference between these two characters and we're not we're not thinking we're thinking of them you know as very very separate people right I think um well also over the course of the story like I wanted it to start where you feel they're so different and then gradually as you learn more and as it progresses you know maybe they aren't so different yeah. um but definitely the way like Virginia is not too far gone, but very far gone in the, you know, having faith in other people department, <laughs> I think is, you know, she's, she's going to see the worst or think the worst about, you know, each person she encounters just because of what she's been through in life. And I think Jenny is still very optimistic. She's, you know, she's not naive. She can see that maybe people you know, don't have the best motives sometimes, but she's also open to, you know, her friend JP that she just meets in the beginning of the book, you know, right away, she's willing, you know, she's intrigued by him and willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, which is not necessarily something I think Virginia <laughs> would be open to kind of. And one of the things 
this may be a little off topic from your question, but that I like to think about, and I think that intrigues me when I write, is this idea that, I don't know, something like a person's life is almost like, I don't know, like the fence around a castle or something where some of the spots are really strong and some of the spots are weak. And if you're going through your life and you're at a point where it's maybe a weak spot and you encounter somebody else, your relationship with them or your interaction with them is going to be so much different than if you encountered them, you know, six months before when you were at a stronger point. And I think that that happens a lot in the book where Virginia is just maybe at more of a constant weak spot. And Jenny is kind of just finding these weak spots in her timeline. And that's opening her up to, you know, some nefarious characters. Yeah, yeah. I love that you answered that whole question without saying that Jenny, and this we learned this very early on, so I'm not giving away a big secret, that, that Jenny is a child beauty queen and is like a, a beauty queen, which, which is this whole other sort of dynamic between her mother and herself of, you know, obviously the mother kind of wanting to live out her her desires through the through the success of the child in this, this strange world of the beauty pageants. Exactly. Well, I, and I knew... I. I didn't go into it thinking that, okay, and one character will be, you know, a former child pageant. It started with Virginia and I just wanted like Jenny to be as opposite as I could imagine visually from Virginia at that, at the start of the story. And then it just kind of went from there. And it, it works though, because so much of what I was trying to get at were just like the pressures on both of these characters that they've faced throughout their life and, the pageant scene, you know, the pressures there from her mother and things like that were just an easy sell in my mind when I was trying to figure out the details. So in spite of the fact that these two characters are not close to each other, they're not, they're half sisters, but they don't even really act like they're family members. Uh, There's no love lost between Virginia and her stepmother, Linda. Yet Virginia makes this decision very early in the book that she's going to try to solve the murder. Why do you think she makes that decision? I think that, okay, there's two points. One is I think that there's something when you're stuck in such a rut like Virginia is where not much is going on in her life. She's kind of making very small choices just to exist. In her mind, everything is temporary. She's self-aware that she's making horrible choices, but she doesn't think she'll make horrible choices forever. She's just stuck. And you know, that can last for one day or that can last for years. So part of it is something has disrupted, you know, her life, which has kind of given her a little jolt that she could have used probably a long time ago, a happier jolt than this jolt. But the other point is that Virginia knows that she knows some secrets about the town, people in particular, that might be very applicable to what happened to Jenny. And the rest of the town is looking outside for, you know, who is to blame for this, who could have done this. And Virginia's kind of in her own mind, like, hey, 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 we're not all uh, boy and girl scouts here. Like there are some bad actors in this town And I think that she just knows she has a unique perspective and it gives her enough of a little motivation to scratch at the surface. And then, I mean, this, she's smart. She's, she's just stuck. And once she like leaves the house and 
starts to focus on something, I think it's a distraction that she's been craving for years. Yeah. I love it when I run across lines or moments in a book that not only seem to encapsulate a character, but that also sort of fly in the face of, of cliches. And you have one where you're writing about um, Jenny, the younger sister, we're in Jenny's head and she's thinking, and she says, people talk about the pressure to live up to the firstborn. No one says anything about how hard it can be to live down to one. Can, can you unpack that comment for us a little bit? Yes. But fun fact, that came in very late like <laughs> in the process. And I wrote it in and I literally wrote a note to my editor that said, is this too much question? Oh, no, it's not too much. <laughs> and she was like, no. And I was like, oh, good. Because I just, you know, as I went through revisions and, you know, you read your own book 10,000 times, the themes start to like, almost like lift to the top or sink to the bottom one way where they're just like screaming in your face because you've read the book so much. And that just popped in my head one day when I was reading through it and I stuck it in there and I was like, well, this pretty much sums up what's going on here because so much of what Jenny's running into is her parents afraid she's going to turn into Virginia and little things that she's doing that, all kids are doing. And if that's the worst thing that you're doing, like, hooray, you have an angel child. But because they're so worried about her becoming Virginia, and this is their like second chance child to be great, they're way harder on her than seems reasonable. And that's kind of where that came from. Yeah. And interesting enough, the line is followed almost immediately and, and we're well into the book at this point. It's followed almost immediately by the scene in which we first see Virginia and Jenny together. Um, and that's something that doesn't happen very much in the book. They're, they're usually a- apart from each other. Can you talk about the challenges of creating a relationship between these two characters when they're almost never in one another's presence? Yeah, I think for Virginia's perspective, I think it creates a lot of guilt in her. It's not something she realized at the time when Jenny was alive, when you think even subconsciously, you know, you have years to fix this relationship. You know, maybe when she's a little older, we'll get along better. All of these things that suddenly that is not an option. So I think that that compounds also in what kind of drives Virginia. You know, I really let her down when she was alive. I can do this. Maybe we'll help her kind of thing. And I think from Jenny's perspective, I mean, I remember being that young and you just, you have such like a tight bubble of who is in your life all the time that if there's somebody kind of floating on the edge that is interesting or a mystery or, you know, something like that, at that age, you can just like latch onto that. Even though you don't really know this person, you don't see this person a lot. They can be very impactful on your life. Yeah, yeah. The the novel um, fairly directly confronts the issue of pedophilia and especially of relationships between adults and teenagers. Um, relationships where the teenager might feel like an adult, might feel complicit, might even feel in love, but obviously is not old enough to be making those decisions. Um so I'd like to ask you first just to, to talk a little bit about the dynamics of that kind of relationship and and why and how you wanted to include it into the narrative. Yeah, to me it was important that 
from the outside for the reader, it, it's clear that one of the people involved is a bad guy, right? The adult is a bad guy. But when you're in the head of the teenager that was involved in this, it's those are very complicated feelings. It's a very, you know, I don't want to speak for, you know, victims and the such, but it's not so black and white at the time. There's a lot of, you know, I know, you know, he's technically a pedophile, but it's different. It, this is different. You know, that sort of thing, because you're young and you're naive and you don't want to believe that these people in your life are predators. And it was just the balance I wanted to make sure, and I hope I succeeded at keeping of like, for, to everybody else and from everything else, like there is one bad guy. But for the, the child, it can be confusing. And, and that's not something that goes away when you grow up. You know, it, that's what I was going for. And I hope I stayed true to that. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's, there are a lot of moments when, when the reader would say, would say to, to what, one or the other characters, um, you know, back away, don't go there, don't go to that person. And yet at the same time, because we're in her head, we understand why she's not taking that advice from us or from anybody else. Yeah, um, exactly. She's self-aware, but I mean, emotions and things like that, there's, you, you can't convince yourself to <laughs> feel differently sometimes. Yeah, yeah. What on this sort of on the similar topic, what role do you think the novel in general has to play in confronting social issues? Whew, that's a heavy question. No. Um, I just I wanted to present something where the subject matter is dark. You know, it's pedophilia, it's child murder. It, there's a lot of very heavy stuff, but I wanted to present it in sort of I don't know. I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but like with sort of like a levity because. A lot of us deal with tragedy and things like that, you know, with this forced kind of humor or sarcasm or, you know, the, just a coping way. And I just wanted it to, like, present, to say, you know, it's okay. You don't have to react to something horrible, like, by just being down and sad. Like, whatever way helps you process is okay. And I just tried to, from Virginia's standpoint... I mean, it would be very easy for her to just woe is me all of the time. But she still has this kind of like wit to her and the way that she observes people and just survives in it. I just wanted it to be like, I don't know, from that perspective, I guess. And it seems to me, too, that, you know, if if these were issues that were being talked about more openly, then the characters in this book might not have fallen prey to these predators or might have been more aware of, of what was going on. I think about the, the adage of it takes a village to raise a child. Maybe it takes a village to arrange for one to be murdered also. It's almost what it felt like in this novel. There were there were a lot of the adults who I wanted to just say, God, just, just talk about it. Just be a little more open about these issues. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're getting there, I think, maybe as a world, but <laughs> we have a long way to go. And yeah. it's just, well, I mean, I think I mean that, those, those, the topic of, you know, sex and relationships it's it's going to be uncomfortable and parents are going to avoid it for you know a while and i think it just not that they necessarily knew that was going on but you know if the child doesn't feel comfortable going to their parents first 
then it's like the secrets, it's too late. Like yeah. the secrets are embedded in them now. Yeah. And I think, I think the way as portrayed in the novel is very realistic, uh, uh, you know, in terms of what, what happens in the real world. Um, and so in a way, when, when we're in our heads yelling at those characters in the novel, we're, we're thinking beyond the, the page and, you know, into a more sort of societal uh, confrontation. Exactly. At one point, Virginia says of her, her father, um, some guys just don't have the dad gene. Um, and the novel is populated by a number of characters who continue with behavior that they know is either self-destructive or harmful to other people, um, even though they're aware of, of that fact. To what extent do you think people can actually overcome their tendencies? I think it's definitely possible, but I think it... It takes a lot of work. You know, you don't read one like article and say, oh, you know, maybe I should be more whatever. And then suddenly, you know, it's, it's practice and it's awareness. And I think it's possible for sure. I just don't think it's easy. And I don't know. I don't know the answer, but that's my belief. I mean, I, you know, I, can really, change. I really wanted to, to say to Virginia's dad, look, it's being a dad's not that hard. You know, it's not rocket science. Um, and we, we eventually find some, some deeper background reasons for his, for the way he behaves, but I still, I, I still, as a reader, don't want to let him off the hook. Cause I'm like, look, nobody's asking you to fly to the moon or do brain surgery. Right. You know, you just have to show up once in a while. You know? yeah, exactly. And it's like, to, to what extent is he aware that he sucks? Uh, you know, cause you've heard this story before. This is a common thing. You know, the man thinks He's providing a roof over his children's head. They're eating, you know, they have clothes on their back. It, you know, it's a spectrum. I mean, clearly he sucks as a dad, but how aware is he of that? Is, you know, that's a question. That's an open question, I guess. Yeah, and I found myself when when I learned more about him and started to understand from his point of view why, as you say, he sucks as a dad. And, and I started to see Virginia sort of trying to decide whether she should forgive him a little bit, you know, then it, it, it was a very interesting moment as a reader because I did not feel disconnected. I felt like, okay, I want to get in the middle of this and I want to, I want to decide for myself. I'm still not sure, you know, to what extent would I forgive this guy knowing all the things that Virginia ultimately knows. Right. Um, it's complicated yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I like that as a, as a reader, I like, you know, being, being challenged to try to, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the, of one of the characters and figure out, well, what would you do? Yeah. Um, Virginia says at one point, or is it Jenny? I can't remember. Uh, says it's amazing that as a human, you can recognize all of your own flaws and psychoses, but do nothing to alter them. I think that sounds like Virginia to me. Yeah, that's, um, that's and that's kind of getting at, at what I was saying, but, um, without, without giving away the end of the book, um, do you feel hope for Virginia? Yes. I, I have to. She's so special to me. I can't just... Yeah. <laughs> um, I do. I don't think it's easy. And I don't know... I mean, I don't want to say too much. Um, I don't think she's necessarily learned from all of her bad choices. <laughs> um, but I think there's always hope. And I think... You know, I don't think she's, she's not a bad person. She's smart. She just, 
she's got to find a way, I guess. Uh, but I, I have hope for her for sure. Yeah. I mean, to me, in a way, this is almost two books. There's a, there's a murder mystery, um, which as I said, is a, is page Turner and you want to find out who, um, who killed Jenny. And, and it's interesting to me that issue of knowing about it ahead of time, as we get to those final pages that we're flipping through so quickly, you know, we're, there's this, there's this horrible voice in your head that says, no, she's not going to get away. She's not going to get away. And you're like, no, she can, she can run. She can hide. She can do this. You're like, she's not going to get away. Um, but, but at the same time, in addition to this page turning mystery, um, you know, I felt like, especially with that use of the first person, it's very much a story about, a woman, Virginia, um, trying to figure out if she can overcome her own brokenness. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, and it feels almost selfish in a way, in the way that she's using the tragedy of her sister being murdered to help herself. And she does, she comments on that at, at certain points. She struggles with that a little bit, but you know, Jenny's been murdered. You, you know, if something good can come from that, you know, why not? Yeah. yeah. Well, we like to end every episode of Inside the Writer's Studio with the same 10 questions. You should be able to answer each of them in just a few words, but hopefully they'll give our listeners some insight into writing and into Amy Green. So if you're ready, we will begin. All right. I'm nervous. Let's do it. <laughs> what word do you love to work into your writing? I guess the word myopic, it's an inside joke with one of my friends, so I, I like to hide it into things to see if she'll notice. What word do you hate to encounter in other people's writing? Okay, I know that I'm not alone in this, but I have to say moist, and only because everyone knows that everyone hates that word. So when people are still using it, I stop, and I'm like, you know what you're doing. Okay, I have to tell you, I, I did not know that until I started this really? podcast, and like, at least 50% of the people say moist. It's unbelievable. Seriously, that's yeah. my point. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. You know. uh, where's your favorite place to write? Uh, it used to be Einstein's Bagels in LA, but I moved. So now I have to say Panera. Where could you never write? On like a train or in a moving car. Mm -hmm. I get pretty motion sickness. So. <laughs> to what rule of grammar do you pay least attention? All of them, none of them on purpose, <laughs> but I haven't, I studied accounting in college, so my grammar is probably not too good. <laughs> what was the first book you remember reading? Actually reading, like put your bookmark in and finish later. Uh, maybe The Giver, mm. that book blew my mind when I was a kid. What are you reading now? Oh, I have it right here. I am reading... Watching You by Lisa Jewell. Just started it. It's awesome. What book would you like to have written? Uh, this is a chance for me to sound really educated and say a great classic. But honestly, I have to say Gone Girl because uh, that was a real game changer for me when that book came out. Yeah. What sort of book would you like to write but probably never will? Oof. Something dystopian, some sort of big and grand adventure, but I don't think I will. And finally, what would you like to hear a reader tell you? Oh, couldn't put it down. Definitely. I'm, I love pacing. I'm obsessed with pacing. <laughs> this has been Inside the Writer's Studio. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and the podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks, a literary nonprofit that runs the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas and operates a community gathering place and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. 
To find out more about Bookmarks and all its programs, visit www.bookmarksnc.org. My guest today has been Amy Green, whose novel The Prized Girl is available wherever books are sold. Amy, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. If you've enjoyed Inside the Writer's Studio, please consider posting a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside the Writer's Studio posts new shows on the 1st and 15th of every month. On our upcoming episodes, I'll be talking to guests from Bookmark's Movable Feast, including Jason Mott and Tim Reinhardt. And then in March, I'll welcome Eric Larson, best-selling author of The Devil and the White City, whose new book, The Splendid and the Vile, examines the first year of Winston Churchill's prime ministership. Until then, thanks for listening, and may you read with wonder and write with passion. <laughs>